today from the Global Lane. Competition without conflict. A first-time presidential meeting eases rising tensions. Uyghur ethnics express outrage. It's uh, unbefitting of the leader of the free world to be meeting with a Chinese dictator that is engaging in genocide. AI jobless apocalypse? Robots are now writing their own code and performing their own assigned tasks. They're everywhere doing everything. I don't see a role for people. Gender-affirming surgeries for children and now a transsexual Miss America pageant winner. Reason to celebrate or American culture in decline? We need some leaders that have a clear enough head and a keen enough conscience that they will say enough transgender activists, you're not going to do this to the American people. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Reaffirming competition and avoiding conflict. That's the goal for moving the U.S.-China relationship forward following a meeting of the country's presidents in Bali, Indonesia this week. So what now? Did the meeting improve the relationship? And what about human rights? Is President Xi addressing concerns about violations? Did Biden demand that he do so? Here to weigh in on President Biden's first meeting as president with China's President Xi is Washington spokesman for the Uyghur people, Saleh Hudayar. He's prime minister of the East Turkestan government in exile. Saleh, at the start of their three-and-a-half-hour meeting in Bali, President Xi Jinping said he's ready for a candid discussion with President Biden, and Biden said he was looking forward to an open and honest dialogue. The White House says President Biden raised the issue of human rights for the Uyghurs. So how satisfied are you about that? Uh, we're not really satisfied. In fact, we disapproved the meeting because it's uh, unbefitting of the leader of the free world to be meeting with a Chinese dictator that is engaging in genocide, an active genocide, uh, at this very moment. Um, so we disapprove of this meeting and we are dis, uh, dissatisfied by the fact that President Biden uh, failed to uh, condemn the genocide. Well, during the meeting, I know that President Xi told President Biden that as leaders of the world's two major countries, they need to chart the right course for the U.S.-China relationship. So what do you think he means by the right course and what do you think the right course is? Well, uh, in China's view, the right course is to where the United States doesn't uh, criticize China over its genocide and other human rights atrocities that it's committing uh, against the people of East Turkestan, against uh, Taiwan, against Hong Kong, Tibet. Um, it also means just to, uh, you know, uh, you know, pursue a policy of appeasement, allowing China to continue uh, its, uh, you know, growth uh, that is its expansive growth at the expense of the United States and the, uh, uh, the international community as a whole. Well, the Chinese Communist Party recently granted Xi Jinping another five years as president. And in March, they'll finalize their plans for the next five years. So what do you expect another five years of Xi as leader uh, will mean for the Uyghurs and for Christians persecuted for their faith in China? Well, as uh, Xi Jinping has reiterated, uh, they're going to pursue their, the Chinese goal of so-called national rejuvenation, which is a fascistic goal to ensure that 
all uh, non-Chinese peoples are either assimilated or eradicated. So this is something that's grievous uh, for the people of East Turkestan, for Tibet and others. Um, and the fact that the Chinese government is going to be pursuing this and ensuring that all religions become, you know, sinicized, meaning that they have to follow uh, everything dictated by the Chinese Communist Party, means that you will see uh, the erosion of Christianity as a whole uh, in China along with other religions. I find it interesting that uh, when it comes to the Uyghur people, the, the Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping say, oh, no, 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 we're not imprisoning these Uyghur people. We're just giving them skills. We're retraining uh, them for useful skills for society. How do you respond to that? Well, many of these people that are being sent into these concentration camps, there's people that are doctors, wealthy business people, people who have, you know, a lot of skills, including lawyers and so forth, uh, that are being sent into these concentration camps. But what China is really doing is uh, indoctrinating these people, torturing them, uh, or harvesting the organs of some and using the majority as essentially slave labor to produce cheap products that are then exported uh, across the world. And uh, forced abortion, and that's basically genocide, is it not? So the United Nations released a report last September condemning China's crimes against humanity for discriminatory detention of Uyghur ethnics. And I guess 50 countries signed a statement saying it warrants urgent attention from the UN. So is that enough, Sally? What else should be done? It's not enough. Uh, the United States and the free world needs to, uh, you know, uphold their commitments under the UN Genocide Convention to prevent and punish the crime of genocide. They need to help East Turkestan in the same ways that we are helping, you know, the people of Ukraine uh, fight off against uh, Russian invasion and Russians' uh, genocidal actions in Ukraine. And you are the prime minister in exile of East Turkestan. Have you met with or requested a meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Blinken or anyone else in the Biden administration? What response have you received? Unfortunately, uh, we have not met with any senior officials in the administration, but we have been meeting with actively with members of Congress uh, to relay our concerns and to, you know, urge uh, that more, uh, you know, substantial actions be taken to address this 21st century Holocaust-like genocide. It's really shocking that they haven't, the administration hasn't met with you or anyone uh, from your side. Okay, Sally Hudayar, Prime Minister of the East Turkestan Government in Exile, thank you for joining us today from Washington, D.C. We appreciate it. The U.S. unemployment rate rose slightly to 3.7% in October. Yet the Labor Department says there are still about 11 million jobs that have gone unfilled. Artificial intelligence, AI, is making routine work tasks easier. But what impact might it have on employment in the months and years to come? Google Robotics recently unveiled new robots that can write their own code and then perform the assigned tasks. Our next guest says technology like that may provide job retraining opportunities, but also a jobless apocalypse that may lead to more government control over our lives. Richard Reed is partner at Heartland Media and publisher of the Christian tech industry newsletter, Tech at the Cross. Richard, thank you for joining us to share your insights on this. So first explain more about what is happening at Google and why this may be a bit worrisome. Uh, recently, Google Robotics Lab has uh, announced that their robots can now use the Palm algorithm, write their own code, 
and then execute that code to do whatever task you want done. They can actually interpret voice? They, they can understand that, voice commands? They can understand using natural language translation. Then they can write their own code and actually execute it and do anything. It's just it's totally amazing what it can do. Yeah, that, that kind of blows us away a little bit here. I know years ago when I was in local TV news and robots first came on the scene, uh, UAW workers expressed concerns that the robots would take their jobs away. But I know the auto executives at GM and elsewhere assured the workers that they'd be retrained to service the robots. So now it seems the robots may eventually then service themselves. So what does that mean for the workers? I don't see a role for workers, for at least most workers. I mean, that's just one example. There's, it, they're everywhere doing everything. And it's, it's, I don't see a role for people. Well, you wrote an article about this recently. And you do see the day coming in your article. You said this when most people are not working, maybe just kind of sitting around at home playing video games yeah. or watching TV, maybe collecting government checks. What do you, what do you see happening? Yes. Well, I, I think the Bible's pretty clear that in the future, there's going to be a system where a government agency or some sort of system where they control the finances of everyone. Well, what better way to do that than to give somebody a check? What are the people there telling you? I mean, we just had an election. We have new leaders coming in, or at least some. Uh, what are their concerns about all of this? Most people where I live, they're just trying to get by day to day. It's, we're not the rich folks in the world. And so they're just wondering how they're going to be able to put food on the table. The prices, everything going up, uh, that's the main concern. Okay, Richard, so how do you think all of this is going to play into eschatology and end times Bible prophecy beyond what, you, what you've already told us? Expand on that a little bit. There's a company now called Avigee, which they can actually make the robot parts. They make parts for anything by themselves. So you're talking about mass extinction of working. So then if you're, if you're getting a check from somebody, then they can impose their will on you. They say, well, you do this or you don't get the check. Well, if you look in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, it talks about in the last days, things becoming like this, where you'll be told, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to believe this. You're going to bow down to this. And if you don't, well, you don't eat. To me, the Bible also talks about the fact that all men were basically sentenced to work because of sin. Well, now our technology is saying that, well, you're not going to have to deal with that anymore. You don't, there's no need to work. We'll take care of you. Uh, just, just to my ears, that sounds inherently evil and mm, something I really don't want anything to do with. So what do you think about that? It means more of a reliance on technology rather than on God. There, I'll give you an example of, I'm not criticizing anybody, but Elon Musk sent an email to all the employees. And basically, it demanded that you're going to put in long hours at high intensity, and you're going to go to this, uh, click on this link, you're going to go and say that you'll do this, or you're fired. 
I'm not saying he's evil. I'm not, I don't know the situation there, but that's just the example of what can be done whenever somebody controls you by giving you a check. I just want to urge everybody to trust in the Lord. Trust in him to provide for you. Uh, I believe we're in the last days that are, that are described. Well, Richard Reed, partner at Heartland Media and publisher of the Christian tech industry newsletter, Tech at the Cross. Thank you, Richard, for sharing those insights. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Gary. God bless. It's one for the history books, probably something many of us thought we'd never see. In Derry, New Hampshire, a transgender teen has won a Miss America beauty pageant. That hasn't happened until now. 19-year-old Brianne Nuan said she's honored to be crowned Miss Greater Derry 2023 as the first transgender title holder in the 100-year history of Miss America. Is it long overdue or another sign of a culture in decline? Well, here with us is Christian professor, author, religion and culture analyst Alex McFarland of Alex McFarland Ministries. Alex, it's good to talk with you again. So what do you make of this, the first transgender Miss America pageant winner? Would she have won if she weren't trans? What do you think? Well, no, this is just a political move just to try to get on a cultural bandwagon. And just the, the mainstreaming of homosexuality, the attempted mainstreaming of gay marriage, and now the insistence that transgenderism is normal and healthy and is appropriate for human beings. Uh, th this is tragic. Th this is tragic. Um, it really is not progressive or groundbreaking. It's actually regressive and is severely harming the lives of people. Well, let's talk about how it's doing that. Beyond Miss Greater Dairy 2023, uh, two Florida medical boards, the Board of Medicine and Osteopathic Medicine, ban gender transition surgeries, cross-sex hormones, and puberty blockers for minors in their state. Are we now seeing a pushback against transgender surgeries for children, actually butchery? Is this a trend or might it be limited to just a few states like Florida? Well, I, I certainly hope that the medical professionals of America will have the courage to stand for good medicine and good patient care rather than cave into the lobby of uh, the transgender activists. We're talking about, for, for any age, uh, gender reassignment surgery is wrong. It's, it's what philosophers would call against the design. It's forcing the human body to do things the human body wasn't designed to do. But for minors, uh, like in California, September of 2021, there was a bill that uh, children and teens in California can uh, go for gender reassignment, surgeries, puberty blockers, and the parents, not only can the parents not stop it, they don't even have to be performed, uh, I, I'm sorry, informed. Do, do you understand? We're talking about the sterilization of children. This is evil. This is wicked. The sterilization of children. And not to mention the, the other health implications, uh, estrogen uh, for males, high doses of testosterone for females. One oncology doctor at a major East Coast hospital said to transition is to give yourself cancer. We need some leaders that have a clear enough head and a keen enough conscience that they will say enough, transgender activists, you're not going to do this to the American people. 
Well, that is science and medicine. Let's move into the spiritual now. Surveys have shown that a majority of American teens are less likely to rate religion as important in their lives. Most forego church attendance or Bible reading. Is that why more teens today seek to change their gender, either with hormone therapy or surgery, or are there other cultural factors at play here? Well, uh, America's teens are in a crisis of truth and a crisis of identity. I mean, they, they, they don't know what's real and they don't know who they are. And even since COVID in the last two years, the number of, of young people, uh, and they're not only, you know, millennials, Gen Z, zillennials, and, and younger, but the number of kids that said they don't believe in God has risen about eight percentage points since COVID. And you, you know what's interesting is that even kids that claim to be Christian, uh, of, of kids raised in a Christian environment and, and claim to have made a profession of faith, 45% say other religions are true as well. And the, the numbers vary, but uh, I will say spiritually, you know, we can talk about this from a, uh, the aspects of science or, you know, what is medically appropriate for individuals. But as a Christian and as a student of, of our history, we're in a spiritual place that is not good. We need a, a movement of the Holy Spirit. We need unity within all camps of Christianity. And we need to pray for God to send a great awakening to our nation because we're in a moral and cultural and spiritual freefall right now. And one thing that you're doing is Viral Truth Campus Clubs. Tell us about that. Well, thanks very much. You know, for uh, more than 20 years, we've done conferences all over the country called Truth for a New Generation, and we've got several next year. And you can learn about our apologetics and worldview events at my own website, which is alexmcfarland.com. We're equipping middle school, high school, and even some college students to know what they believe, why they believe it, and to, to really lovingly but effectively stand back against the insanity of the moment. And I will say kids are hungry for it. You know, it's thrilling to see the way that the Spirit of God is moving in the lives of young people. And so uh, the Viral Truth Campus Clubs are just a part of that. But I would say to, to everybody watching, if you love God and country, uh, be informed, uh, be mindful of what's going on, but do not be discouraged. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. So let's speak the truth and let's, let's keep our eyes on Jesus, but let's do what we can do to influence those around us, beginning with young people who so desperately need to hear truth. Okay, shining light in the midst of cultural darkness, Alex McFarlane, Alex McFarlane Ministries. Thank you, Alex, for taking time today to share your thoughts with us. We appreciate it. God bless you, and God bless CBN. Prior to the recent U.S. election, politicians warned us that democracy was at stake if we didn't vote for them. Many of those same candidates also supported efforts to restrict free speech. Now in the world's first democracy, Greece, a former soccer star may be going to jail for standing for godliness and speaking out against proposed gender-affirming legislation. According to the Greek media site The Times, a court in Athens sentenced football legend Vasilius Siartis to 10 months in prison for inciting violence and hatred for reasons of gender identity. So what did Siartis say and why? 
Well, in 2017, he made a controversial comment on Facebook after the Greek legislature debated a new law allowing people to determine their sex that they list on official documents. The proposed law would have allowed children as young as 15 to make the change without providing medical proof of having received gender-altering treatment or surgery. In other words, children, not God, would determine gender based on their feelings, not biological science. Before Greek lawmakers struck down that provision in the new law, Siartas posted a comment on Facebook saying that he hoped, quote, the first sex changes are carried out on the children of those who ratified this abomination. Later, he sarcastically wrote, quote, legitimize pedophiles too to complete the crimes. In a subsequent post, the former Greek soccer star reminded people that our sex is determined by God. He wrote, quote, God created Adam and Eve. Bravo for that truthful comment. Siartas' conviction came after a lawsuit was filed on behalf of a transsexual activist who received online threats following the former soccer star's posts. But really, folks, 10 months in prison for reminding Greeks that they're made in God's image and for freely speaking his mind? The free speech case in Greece reminds me of the recent remarks of Kanye West, now known as Ye. His post was definitely anti-Semitic. But Ye wasn't thrown in jail for hate speech. Instead, he lost millions of dollars in corporate endorsements. That's the consequence of not being careful about what we say or post online. Although Ye's comments sickened me, I'll defend his right to free speech. Same goes for Siartas. I wouldn't post a comment saying that the children of parliamentarians should be the first to undergo sex change surgery. I wouldn't wish that mutilation on any child or adult. But I do get Siartas's point, don't you? He's criticizing rules for thee, but not for me. Yes, he could have written kinder words, but he should have the right in the birthplace of democracy to freely share his views without facing jail time. The same applies for us here in the United States or in the UK, where street preachers have been arrested for sharing the gospel, suppressing free speech, speech deemed offensive. Now that's what truly places any democracy at risk. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.